We are in the midst of a study entitled Discovering God's Will Together. And this morning, as part of that study, we're going to start talking about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are sacred paths to a deeper intimacy with God and a deeper understanding of his will for our life. They include things like engaging in the scriptures, like prayer, like self-examination, like confession, like Sabbath observance. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the fundamental, the basic spiritual discipline on which all other spiritual disciplines are built. That is, the discipline of solitude and of silence. In order to know God's will, you and I need to have a relationship with the God whose will we want to know. So to grow our relationship with God, we need to learn to listen to him. We need to learn to listen to his heart. We need to listen for his will. And then we can respond in obedience. So as we talk about the discipline, the foundational discipline of silence and solitude, I'd like to invite you to visit with me a passage in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. For some of you, this may be familiar. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but these few verses beginning at verse 11. The Lord says to Elijah, the great prophet, Go out and stand on the mountain. Stand in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. I was reading a monthly publication from a very large organization a few weeks ago. This organization has tons and tons, millions of members across North America alone, and they have facilities in almost every major city. They attract parking lots full of people every Sunday morning. This publication that they have is sent to every member. It's packed full of wisdom and opportunities. In fact, Many of you may even get their publication. It's called Costco Connection. <laughs> Inside this issue, there was an article entitled The Sounds of Silence. I learned several things reading this particular issue and article. First, the word noise is derived from the Latin for nausea. Think about that for a moment. Second, the World Health Organization has said that noise literally makes us sick. 
It impairs our performance. It increases cardiovascular disease. It increases stress and brings high blood pressure. It compounds our sleep disturbances. But the most pervasive consequence is hearing loss. Something to think about as we pop those earbuds in and crank up the volume. And third, it quoted Dr. Gordon Hughes, a board-certified ear, nose, and throat doctor who said that hearing loss is invisible, gradual, cumulative, and irreversible. Now, most people consider noise to simply be an unavoidable part of life. On the other hand, some try to control the uncontrollable noises by making their own noise. So we have radios in our cars to cut down on engine and traffic noise. We have music in our restaurants and malls to cut down on people noise. We buy noise-suppressing AirPods to cut down on disturbing noises. We have big screen televisions with surround sound to cut down on spousal noise. <laughs> Some people just love noise. Parents ironically try to calm their children and lull them to, street, to sleep by turning on a noise machine. We carry cell phones loaded with music so we can have noise at the push of a button. The radio is always on in the home and in the car, and so is the television, even if no one is watching it. And now your television program can follow you from room to room. That's just plain creepy. <laughs> Some people even love loud noises. From 400 watts of surround sound, not so we can hear it better, but so that we can actually feel the vibrations. When my son Brian was a paid-on-call firefighter, he had a 200-watt siren in his truck. Now he works with lawnmowers and with leaf blowers and with tractors and, and with chainsaws. Literally, he is with noise all day long. So he wears these little noise-blocking earplugs so he can hear and the sound is less. I even heard of a church the other day. They hand these out when you come in the door. Our brains are constantly stimulated. In fact, they're overstimulated. And yet we wonder why we have trouble sleeping at night. Who, WHO, the World Health Organization, recommends that we wear that kind of ear protection or perhaps even ear muff style devices whenever we encounter noise above certain level of decibels. There are other people who recommend a more pro-silence approach. They suggest we have more mini parks and, and more park vested places where people can come and have ordinary conversations and build community and just be together. The problem is, is that for many people, silence can be as stressful as loud noise because silence is so foreign to our experience and to our culture. Silence makes us very uncomfortable. And many people, dare I even say most 
people don't know how to be silent. Silence is countercultural, it's awkward, and it's unfamiliar to us. Noise, that is disturbing and distracting sound, is also a significant spiritual problem. Its antidote, silence, can be just as problematic and irritating for people. We don't feel comfortable with silence. It's very hard. Actually, it is impossible to hear God when it's noisy. We easily get caught up in that noise, in the pressures, in the distractions, in the busyness of this world. And as a result, our intimacy with God, our knowledge of his will, and our spiritual growth suffers. There is the noise of unrealistic expectations. We often place unrealistic expectations on our spouse, on our children, on our parents, on grandparents, and they place very high expectations on us. To succeed in our work and in our career or our vocation, we need to pass a very high bar that is being set. Even to be a church leader or a caregiver or a good neighbor or an exemplary believer, they all come with high expectations. And those expectations add to our stress and to our disquiet. There's also the noise of performance paranoia. We often feel like, like the success or the failure of something depends on us. We have all been taught, and most of us still believe that old adage, if you want something done right, then you have to do it yourself, even if it isn't true. So we all feel we need to do all things at all times so it gets done the way it's supposed to be done. There's also the lack of boundaries that we deal with. Many people spread themselves way too thin, live with no margin in their life at all. We tend to focus on the urgent and the pressing rather than on the important and the significant. We find it very difficult to say no, and our days are soon overbooked. And what happens is our time with God sort of gets pushed off to the side. There is the noise of unhealed wounds. Almost everybody on one time or another has been harshly criticized, betrayed, ignored, or passed over at some point. The pain from those experiences is brutal. It's hard to forget and get over. We've been taught to tough it out, but the pain only continues to reside just beneath the surface. The pain lingers, and it colors everything. There's the noise of personal isolation. Today, people have very few friends that they can trust and rely on. Men especially have few friends. In fact, the average man has 0.7 good friends. Less than one. We may have hundreds, even thousands of Facebook friends. But the truth is that has only resulted in less friends that we can deeply know and truly trust. The result is we feel increasingly alone and isolated. There is the noise of societal pressure. Act now. Don't delay. Buy it now. Money down. Five years to pay. 
Run a little faster, work a little harder, party a little heartier. Do it all, experience everything. Madison Avenue says, you can have it all. There is the noise of misaligned priorities. We innately believe that the one who talks the most is the most important. And since we want to belong, And since we want to belong and be important, we tend to talk a lot. We tend to want to be influential so we can have it our way. We want to be respected, and we think that comes from being the person who has the most stuff. We want to be independent so that we don't have to owe anybody anything. The truth is, if we're not extremely careful, we'll just get swept up and carried away. John Ortberg tells the story of Tattoo. Tattoo is a basset hound who lived in Tacoma, Washington, who that day had no interest in going for an evening run. But when his owner shut his leash in his car door and drove off down the street, Tattoo had no choice. Terry Filbert, a motorcycle officer, saw the vehicle with something apparently being dragged along behind it and chased the car down, pulled it off to the side, and Tattoo was rescued. But not before the dog had reached speeds of over 30 miles an hour and had rolled over several times. Truth is, Tattoo has very little interest in going for an evening walk anymore. You see, life without solitude and life without silence is a ruthless and very hazardous way to live. It's like being dragged along like tattoo with the world. God has created us for something much different, for something much more, for something much better. And because our lives are so busy and so noisy, we struggle to hear God speak. In our scripture taken here from 1 Kings 19, Elijah has been on Mount Carmel and God has responded to his prayer with a powerful display of fire. Then the, the reigning queen puts Elijah on her hit list, threatens his life. And afraid now, Elijah runs to the wilderness. He lays down and he tells God, he wants to die. Instead, God sends angels to minister to him and instructs him now to go to Mount, to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, so they can talk together. So Elijah goes back to the very same place that Moses once stood, so he too, like Moses, can hear the word of the Lord. And he experiences this powerful wind. And then he experiences a powerful earthquake. And then there is this ravenous fire. And the scripture is very clear to say, God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake. And God was not in the fire. And then God comes to Elijah in a quiet whisper. The Hebrew literally says, 
He comes in the silence. God was in the silence. Silence is God's MO. God speaks quietly. But because of all the noise in our world and in our life, even when he speaks, people seldom hear. Some people consider that to be an advantage. I mean, they figure if they can't hear God, then they're off the hook, right? God wouldn't hold them responsible for something they weren't aware of, would he? Do you think telling my wife that I didn't hear her has ever gotten me off the hook? God doesn't accept that excuse either. But silence for most of us is so uncomfortable, not only culturally but spiritually, that we try to avoid it at all costs. Maybe you've had one of these experiences. You've been in a small group. A question is asked and there. There's no responses. There's, there's silence, if you will. And I can tell you that that silence will only last so long before somebody will actually jump in with an answer, even if it's not a good answer. It is an answer simply to relieve the tension that has risen from the silence. Or maybe you're praying in your small group. And all of a sudden, no one is praying for what seems like an extended, an eternity amount of time. And it gets so uncomfortable that the point comes when somebody will jump in to pray just to break the tension. In worship, someone comes and sings a wonderful solo, plays an instrument. And then when it's done, for a moment there is this awkward moment of silence And instead of allowing the gift of music we have just heard to sink in and to nurture our soul, someone breaks the uncomfortable silence by applauding. Most people don't understand. But silence, speechlessness, if you will, is the response of awe. The impact of noise in our spiritual life is often invisible, We don't realize its impact as it's happening. It's cumulative. Not listening to God makes it increasingly more difficult to hear him in the future. And it is gradual. We wander far and far away from God slowly and slowly and slowly. But here's the good news. It is reversible. We don't set out to intentionally distance ourselves from God. It just happens. And then one day it suddenly dawns on us, we can't hear God anymore. And we're a long way from him. Throughout scripture, God invites us over and over to be silent before him. He invites us to do that because he knows that that silence is going to enhance our relationship It's going to allow us to hear him speak. It's going to nurture our heart and our soul. The call to silence in scripture is always an invitation to a deeper relationship. To be with the one who has created and redeemed us. 
An invitation to be more and more like Jesus. An invitation to live in awe and in intimacy. Be still and know that I am God. I have stilled, the psalmist says, and quieted my soul. Or Jesus, on multiple opportunities, says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Now, let's be honest with each other and with ourselves. Silence is difficult. And that's why it's considered a spiritual discipline. You see, a spiritual discipline is something we do. Remember, you and I are responsible for the state of our heart and the state of our soul. A spiritual discipline is something we do to open the door to greater intimacy with God, to keep the field tended so God can step in and plant the seed and, and provide the nourishment and the growth and the fruit. Spiritual discipline is a repeated action. It's the rhythm of our life intended to make room so that God can come and transform us. To experience the benefit of a discipline, we have to practice the discipline. We have to repeat it. We have to do it over and over. To experience the benefits of silence, we need to practice silence. Well, the discipline of silence and solitude is about making space, about making room for God in our busy, noisy lives. It's no simple task. The truth is, most of us know a lot about God. We've attended church all or most of our life. We've gone to Bible studies. Many of us have attended a Christian day school or a Christian college. We've gone to the church's catechism classes. We've participated in youth ministry. We part periodically talk with God as well. The average believer, statistics show, talks in prayer about two or three minutes a day to God. But the truth is, very few people have the experience of simply being with God. The goal of a spiritual discipline, especially the discipline of silence and of solitude, is not to learn more about God, but to experience more of his presence and enjoy more of his intimacy and know more about his spirit. Mark Iaconelli tells of a pastor who after attending a conference that promoted the discipline of silence suggested to his congregation that following Sunday morning that they would now pause for 10 minutes of silence so worshipers could just be with God. After the service, the elders called an emergency meeting and suggested he could just be somewhere else. It was just too uncomfortable. But as leaders of his church, and as the parents and teachers of the next generation, how in the world can we encourage others to practice the presence of God if we are too busy ourselves to be present to God? You see, the goal of spiritual disciplines and the discipline of silence that is the foundation of all other disciplines is simply to be with God. 
That is to be more conscious of his presence, to be discovering greater intimacy with him, to be hearing so we can follow his will, to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. But the truth is those blessings only come if we practice the discipline that opens the door, that keeps the field tended, that keeps our heart and life open. Imagine, imagine if we were conscious of God's presence throughout our day, not just to gain more knowledge, not just to prove our acceptance, not just out of a sense of duty, but just to be with him, just to enjoy his love and his care, just to listen to his wisdom, just to abide with him, as Jesus says in John 15. Imagine if we were conscious of God's will for our life throughout the day. Not just to know what it was, but to be able to respond to God in love and love one another. If we don't, if we don't learn to enter and abide and respond to God's presence with silence, with listening, with awe, our soul, our families, and our churches are in deep trouble. If we're not intentionally and continuously listening for God and to God, we can't really be considered a follower of Jesus Christ. The biblical place of silence and solitude in the scripture is desert. God repeatedly invites and calls his people to the desert. You may remember Moses met God in the burning bush in the desert. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years until they could learn to listen to God and be obedient. Elijah was at Mount Horeb when God whispered to him, soon to be king, David hid in the desert caves. John the baptizer ministered in the desert, called people into the desert to hear the good news. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness in the desert before starting his ministry. You see, in the desert, we are stripped of all distractions. There are no other people there. There are no to-do lists because there's nothing to do except be there. There's no media. There's no technology. In the desert, we are reminded of our dependence. We need food to nourish us. We need water to sustain us. We need shade to cool us. We need God's provision or we die. In the desert, we are left to face ourselves, to come face to face with our dreams and our desires, our thoughts and our passions, our sins and our weaknesses. In the desert, we also come face to face with God. Do we really trust him that he's going to provide for all of those needs? Do we really believe that God is all we need? Do we have a growing relationship with him? In the desert, God teaches us that life is not about doing something great for God. Life is about having a great relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. See, life is also not primarily about doing what God wants us to do. It is primarily, first and foremost, about being who God wants us to be. So silence and solitude are literally the two sides of the same coin. 
Solitude is that intentional place where we go that is set aside to be with God and God alone. And solitude enhances our silence. Jesus often went to be alone with his father. He did that following the good times. He healed a leper. He went to be alone with his father. He did that following bad times when John the Baptist was beheaded. Jesus went to be alone. Silence and solitude are often the best place to nurture our soul, to examine the deepest issues of our heart, to reflect on the important issues of life. And solitude is where you and I can hear God more clearly than we can hear him in the world, even among our friends and our family. God speaks to us most clear in the silence and the solitude. At the same time, silence and solitude is more than just the simple absence of noise and people. Solitude and silence is a mindset and a soul set that can be experienced on an airplane or in a mall or even at a football game. Silence and solitude is where we meet God, where we can hear him speak, where we can become aware of his presence and his will in our life. Silence and solitude is, if you will, the valley in which we grow the most. Henry Nouwen called it the furnace of transformation. So solitude and silence is where we practice our waiting. One of our greatest challenges is to convince ourselves that the silence and the solitude isn't a waste of time. The fact is, if you and I long to grow spiritually and into deeper intimacy with the Father, it's an absolute necessity. Do you know the difference between a country dog and a city dog? Country dogs live in the wide open spaces. They have a great deal of freedom. They can roam wherever they want. They can go down to the creek. They can wrestle with a skunk. They can sleep in a sunny pasture. They can go foraging for food. And most do. But while time passes, a country dog gets to the point where they like to just stay in the same place day after day, preferably on the master's porch. You see, the country dog has been, as they say, to Vegas. He has gotten into a few scrapes. He has come to see the open range for what it really is. And now a country dog is simply content just to stay near his master. Because you know, he might get a biscuit or a pat on the head or a belly rub. And those are the best. City dog, city dog is much different. City dog spends most of his day cooped up in a house day after day. He is literally forbidden to leave the house. The city dog, on the other hand, has one basic mission. To get out, the city dog learns that when and how the door is going to be opened, how to nudge it just so in hope of escape. And the moment that door opens, the dog is going to make a run for it. The master may run after the dog, or he may get into the car and drive up and down the streets of the neighborhood, constantly calling out the dog's name, begging the dog to come home. If the master sees the dog, he will likely have to bribe the dog with a biscuit or lasso the dog with a leash in order to get it to come home. Many see the Christian life 
as a set of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. Many feel that the Christianity that they have sort of cramps their style and they long, they long to escape those rules and those restrictions and they long to get out and experience the real world. They misunderstand what their identity is in Jesus Christ. So many Christians are like the city dog. Believers who understand their identity in Christ are more like the country dog. They know that they're not under law. They know that they can sin. They've sinned before. But they know that those temptations never, ever keep their promises. So sin has lost its enticement. And they're simply content to remain at the feet of their master. Silence is foundational and indispensable to our spiritual health, to our faith formation, to our life transformation. So here's a few invitations and some encouragements that I'm going to invite you to consider seriously. First, do it. That is, start slowly. No one is suggesting that we start entering into the discipline of silence by taking three or four days at a time of silence, or even an hour of silence at a time. Consider starting with eight to ten minutes in the morning, and perhaps eight or ten minutes at night. Begin to redeem the small solitudes of your life. So pause when you take that first sip of coffee in the morning and think about God. Offer a prayer when you're driving to work or have to wait at a red light. Thank God for his blessings while you're doing the dishes or washing the car. Celebrate your creator when you go for a walk or for a run or step onto the treadmill. Thank God for his faithfulness when you lay your head back down on that pillow at night. Pause regularly to think about God. Ask God to speak to you and listen for his voice. Consider having a silent meal once a week just to listen to God. And I know that is every parent of young children's dream to have a silent meal. But maybe three or four minutes and use that as an opportunity just to count your blessings what God has provided on that table. Develop a rhythm of intentional pauses for one or two minutes throughout the day. Discipline yourself throughout the day to make your words fewer, fuller, and God-honoring. Daily set aside a few moments to pray or to reflect on a passage of Scripture or simply to acknowledge the presence of God. And finally, keep on keeping on. Keep doing it. The benefits of silence and solitude don't happen without the hard work. It's a spiritual discipline. So persevere. You will never regret it. So let's pause for just a moment. Let's step into the silence. And then I'll close with a word of prayer.
Father, allow us to be still so that we might know that you are God. Amen.